You're listening to Different Things Can Be Sad. Welcome to Different Things Can Be Sad, where it's cool to care about politics and pop culture. I'm Yasmin Lomax. And I'm Micah Hahn. And we are back for the very first 2023 installment of this politics and pop culture podcast. And because it is monthly, we have to start off with a little monthly catch up. Micah, how has your January been? The first month of 2023? How has the year started? Um, It started pretty strong. Um, Okay. Getting, I guess, like settled into a new job and feeling like, I don't know decently good about it and doing a lot of like as we will discuss reading watching and listening Mm -hmm. um and just enjoying the kind of like the new pace of life which um has been good and like enjoying being a commuter who walks to work it's the best thing ever i highly recommend it's a lovely feeling you get a lot of listening done in that you do yeah. New Year, New Micah. I love this. Yeah, this is like a like little that. routine shakeup. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Um, I am going to give my update in the form of the resolutions that I have achieved this oh. month. I thought it'd be like a fun thing we could do throughout the year because I normally record on my little desk and I've actually just installed a whiteboard on top of Cute. it where I have my resolutions written out. And this month, the one that I really wanted to take off was to get a New York State ID. And I oh, did. Cool. Yeah. Amazing. I went, filled out the forms, went to the DMV, got it back in the mail, and they spelt my name wrong. So I've got to go <laughs> do it all again. I know. I know. Very, very upsetting. They spelt it Lomaz with a Z mm. instead of Lomax with an X. And I think they also did it on like my organ donor donation uh, Mm -hmm. consent thing so i'm gonna have to get that changed and big old big old pain uh mainly because i can't say that i achieved one of my resolutions in january so i feel like you kind of achieved it but then yeah i did my part go anywhere or i have to go back in i have to go back in the dmv Mm -hmm. yeah i will say it was fairly painless the first time like i made an appointment online i was in there for like 15 minutes okay it was fine aside from the bit where they definitely wrote my name down wrong and it is just kind of frustrating because I don't have any new things to show them like I'm basically going in for them to pull up everything they already have and to correct their own typo so DMV if you're listening to this I'm very annoyed at you (laughs) but it's okay because I'll have an update in February about that resolution and hopefully maybe you know another one Speaking of our little recap of January, what did you read in January, Micah? Is there anything you'd recommend? Mm, I read quite a few things, um, but I got to read two, read, listen to two great audiobooks because of that commute to work. Yeah. Um, Slash being able to listen to audiobooks at work. It's great. Um, The first, I is wonderful first read of the month, and it was great. It's Heartburn by Nora Ephron. I love Um, this. Popular for several reasons. One, it's Nora Ephron, who we love. Um, two, it is the site of um, the Olivia Wilde salad dressing recipe that yes. was part of the breakup that we talked about in our October episode, I want to say. I think we talked about it in December. I think it made um, our our one of our top moments of the year. Yes. Our, our biggest pop culture moment was the Olivia Harry Wild Ride, which mm-hmm. culminated wow. in a Nora Ephron salad dressing recipe. Yes. Um, so Heartburn is a Nora Ephron's 1983 semi-autobiographical book. It's like fiction, but it's based on her really messy divorce from Carl Bernstein who is the guy, one of the guys who broke the Watergate story, a very famous journalist. Um, And it's about this woman who is going through this messy divorce, and she is a cookbook writer. Um, And the best part of all of this, and the reason why I recommend that you listen to it, is that it's performed by Meryl Streep. And it is so good. 
the book is like it's quite short and it's much more like a long monologue than it is like a narrative story um and that's why it's so perfect in this form so entertaining if you're like I love Meryl. I love Nora Ephron. Um, it also is one of Nora Ephron's first movies that she wrote. And it stars Meryl and, oddly enough, Jack Nicholson, who is, like, deeply miscast, but it's okay. I would say the book is much better, but the movie is, like, a very much, like, a slice from that time period. I haven't seen the movie, and I really enjoyed the book, so I think I might try to put that in soon. Yeah, for sure. The other thing I listened to... Um, was Portrait of a Thief by Grace D. Lee. I read this last year. Yeah, it's yeah. great. I, it came out last year. Crazy that the author like wrote it early COVID while she was in med school. Yeah. And this is her first book. Big achievement. Um, yeah. The Goodreads describes it as like a cross between Ocean's Eleven and The Farewell, which I think is pretty accurate. It's about five Asian American college students who get roped into a heist where they're trying to retrieve stolen Chinese artifacts um, from museums around the world and bring them back to China. Um, And I think what I liked about the book is it has a really good balance between like the fun heist scenes and this exploration of colonialism and Asian American identity. Um, And it also like has a good touch of realism. Like it acknowledges that it's crazy that five college kids are trying to steal from these big museums. It's definitely a fun read. I like the audiobook a lot. It's like there are five characters and they all have their own sections, so you definitely have to pay attention a little oh, bit. Oh yeah. But it's like a great read and I would it was a great way to start off the year for sure. I thought it was really fun too. I think I found the balance between the heist and the discussions of Asian American identity sometimes like a little mis pace yes i agree with that they'd be in the middle of stealing something and then they'd have an inner monologue or sometimes like a conversation with someone about what it means to be asian american or colonialism and i'm like guys i love this conversation i actually love it more than the stealing of the art but why are we doing it while we're trying to break out of a museum it's very confusing timing so yeah pacing a little odd but i i think the the concept is really really good Mm mm-hmm I can't wait for oh, a movie is coming out. Yeah, it's I think that'll make a great a great film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's like international. It's they go to all these different museums around the world. It would be really visual, I think. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of books that we have both read, mm-hmm. the I think the first book I finished this month as well, also an audiobook, The No Show by Beth O'Leary, which. Mm-hmm. Micah, you recommended. Have you discussed yes. on this podcast before? I'm not sure. I don't think so. Maybe it was one of our offline discussions because we're real mm-hmm. life friends. Yeah. But The No Show by Beth O'Leary is her most recent romance drama, I think is a good term. Yeah. Because it's not like a rom-com, romance comedy. It's like there's romance, but a real touch of heaviness. And mm-hmm. that is kind of what characterizes all of her books um, or the, the three of the four that I've read. <laughs> but in this one, we follow three women who all get set up on Valentine's Day by the same man. And mm-hmm. I immediately thought this must be a John Tucker must die situation and was a little confused and disappointed as I was reading. But then there were these crazy twists that I was so not expecting and I was frantically texting Micah about it and absolutely devouring the audiobook. Like I went out to dinner and I, when I was going from the table to the bathroom, I put the AirPods back in my (laughs) ear so I could listen to more of the book. I just needed to know how this all worked out. So I think it's masterful. I think it's, Kind of got this like mystery element to it, mm-hmm. which is really, really compelling. So if you've liked Beth O'Leary's other books, um, The Road Trip and The Flat Share, definitely recommend The No Show. An old recommendation for me that I'm going <laughs> to uh, bestow upon you all is the A Court of Thorns and Roses series by Sarah J. Mass. I know I have talked about this so many times on the podcast, but I have decided to treat myself to a January reread of the core three books in this series and I think it's a really great way to get back 
into reading in the new year. So Mm -hmm. if you want to read more this year, I highly recommend these ones because I've said it once, I'll say it a thousand times. It's like reading when you were a teenager, like when the Hunger Games came out and you just could not stop. You were staying up till 2 a.m. to find out what happened with PETA and Katniss next. That is this. And I think that's a really great way to kick off a year of reading. So highly recommend those. (laughs) In terms of watching, how did January treat you, Micah? Uh, January is pretty good. I watched um, quite a few movies. Uh, Our local uh, like art theater um, put on a Wes Anderson retrospective. Mm. 15-year-old me is dying. (laughs) Yeah, it was so wonderful. Um, I got to see the Royal Tenenbaums, which I'd never seen before. You hadn't? Um, No. Um, It's the best one. Yeah, it's my first Wes Anderson I saw with you. Oh my gosh, of course. I love dogs. My yeah. Birthday. Wow. Um, I hadn't seen a Wes Anderson before that. And I've seen like all the ones that have come out since. Yeah. And Fantastic Mr. Fox and Grand Budapest. But I hadn't seen like the the core original ones. Yeah, the ones that kickstarted it all. Yeah. And I just like, if you haven't seen it, it's lovely. Um, it's amazing. It's so good and like so tight. Um, it's but, really short, right? It's like 90 it's minutes or something. Cute. Yeah. Yeah um and the acting is so wonderful um and yeah I just like highly recommend but this is mostly my pitch to be like look at your local movie theaters and see what cool Mm. shit they're doing um because often they have like your favorite movies on the big screen which is such a fun way to watch a movie um the other thing I watched um was surprisingly for me tv I watched Ginny and Georgia season two um and I started watching Ginny and Georgia because I met someone who was in the show. Um, and I was like, gotta see what's up here. Turns out they're not really in the show that much. They're like a like one step up from a background character. Okay. Um, but I found I really enjoyed it. Um, it's about Ginny, who is a biracial girl who has lived, never really lived in one place for very long because her mom, Georgia, is constantly moving her around with her brother. And then they end up in this kind of this very waspy Massachusetts town. And the reason they've been moving around a lot is because Georgia is, um, she had like her kids as a teenager and has encountered a bit of crime in her past. Um and the show flashes in between present day and Georgia's past as like a teen mom who was involved in a biker gang. A biker um, gang? Yeah. Okay, because this was giving like Gilmore Girls at first, and now I'm thinking it's Riverdale. Is it like both? it's somewhere in between? That's um, fun. Yeah, it's filmed in Toronto, which is like of course, of course. Um, but what I love about it is it means there's a lot of Degrassi alumni in it. Oh, um, which is fun. Um, also, as we love, it has Scott Porter in it, who we love from Friday Night Lights. Jason Street. Um, yeah, he plays yet again, uh, like the love interest. Uh, he should. He has a very lovely yeah. face. He is. Um, and it's it's very. What I like about it is it's high drama and there's like murder and crime, but it also like comes very much at like at a teenager's level and like takes their feelings seriously and addresses the issues they're dealing with um that are issues that are like beyond the circumstance that they're in um and so yeah if you're like looking for a netflix show to dive into i would recommend it's like a a fun watch I also have a Netflix show to recommend and it is That 90 Show, which is the new Netflix spinoff of That 70s Show. And this time around, we see Donna and Eric from the original series as daughter spending the summer with her grandparents, Kitty and Red, and making a bunch of new friends in Point Place. And unlike a lot of other spinoffs, I really enjoyed this one. I think because there's so much nostalgia attached to it. Like we've got Kitty and Red as series regulars. We have a lot of the old cast of kids coming back. Uh, It's set in the same house in the same town. Mm -hmm. And I think it works because the original was pretty cheesy and silly with lots of over-the-top acting. And spinoffs always seem to have that 
you know, tenfold. So it feels like less of a stretch. My sister also pointed out that maybe it's less weird than other ones because it's also set in the past. And there's something like inherently cringy about the people from like Full House in the 80s now talking about TikTok or something. It just, Mm -hmm. it's a little strange. Whereas having this in the 90s gives it kind of the same nostalgia as the original. So I think it's, it's very cute and fun. I would recommend that. Speaking of cute and fun, Catherine Colberti. Great movie. Yeah, I am back on Letterboxd in 2023, not to review, just to log. And this was my favorite of like the five or six movies I logged this month. We're actually, Micah and I, both rewatching Girls at the moment. I'm rewatching. You're a first time watcher. Yeah. And I finally had to see this because it is by Lena Dunham. It came out last year and it's about a 14 year old girl in medieval England whose father is trying to marry her off for money so it doesn't sound cute and fun Mm -hmm. but it is I think because Bella Ramsey who plays the titular role of Catherine Colberti (laughs) brings like so much childlike spirit to what could be this really bleak story and There are also some really charming performances by Andrew Scott, a.k.a. Hot Priest. He has Mm -hmm. just such a a fun charm. And also Joe Alwyn, who I am sorry to say I've never really understood the appeal of. And then I was watching this and was like, oh, I I get it. Mm -hmm. Like, I have a crush on Joe Alwyn now. So that's the magic of it for me. I thought it was beautiful. Yeah, it's it's so cute and I like Lena Dunham's great and she released two movies last year and this is one of them yeah I have yet to see Sharp Stick but I've heard really good things about that as well Um, a warning to our listeners Sharp Stick very different vibe than Catherine called Birdie um fully like full 180 there just so you know not cute how about listening what did you listen to in Jan um what did I listen to? Um, one thing I really loved is um, a Remy Wolf album that I don't know when it came out kind of recently. Yaz introduced me to Remy Wolf as like days before we saw her live opening for Lord. Um, I thought she was so good. She's so wonderful. Um, the album I'm recommending is not like a, a new album, but it's called Live at Electric Lady. So it's a live album. And I think it distills everything that's so wonderful about her. Like, there's so much, like, personality and, like, funk and vibe to it. There's also, like, a wonderful Frank Ocean cover, which, like, would always get to me. Um, And it's just, like, a very fun, like, seven songs or something like that to pop on. I think she's so interesting because she's such a technically and objectively good singer Mm -hmm. but sort of puts like having fun above that and then every now and then the fact that she's got serious pipes comes out and it just makes it all the more special i think it's a really really clever use of of talent and personality together for sure she's great uh speaking of music have you heard the new miley cyrus song i have been on the internet of course i have yeah We've all we've all heard Flowers by Miley Cyrus. I have to say, I just love that every few years Miley comes out with a song that just leaves everyone shook. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like we don't really hear about the albums that much, but every few years there's just, like, an enormous Miley Cyrus song that we're all talking about. Yes. Uh, this one kind of appears to be a response to Bruno Mars's song When I Was Your Man from, like, 10 years ago, the... <laughs> choruses are kind of speaking to each other and fans are also finding potential references to her marriage or I guess previous marriage to Liam Hemsworth in it and I just think it's so clever right Mm -hmm. like Miley makes a bang because she's sort of going to the Taylor Swift school of weaving pop culture stories into your music to make people go wild like if people think there's juicy goss to be parsed out of this We love it. And it just sounds great as well. It's a really great, uh, really great song. So Flowers by Miley. And then there was a podcast I was listening to a lot, especially earlier this month while I was doing some DIY bits around the apartment. I was listening to the Twilight Effect podcast, which is 
yet another rewatch <laughs> podcast. Uh, it's about Twilight, obviously, mm-hmm. and it's co-hosted by Ashley Green, who played Alice Cullen and her friend. It ran last year, but I obviously only dove into it recently, mainly because I was a little wary of the rewatch yeah. podcast. Um, I liked Office Ladies. It just kind of felt like a huge commitment. And then I didn't really love the OC and New Girl ones, unfortunately. This one I thought was was pretty good, mainly because I listened to not the rewatch episodes, but the interview episodes mm. they did. And they had a really, really interesting mix of people on. So it was um, a lot of the cast. I think they got almost all the Cullens, bar yes. Rob Pats, obviously. Yeah. Um, but they had like directors on, casting agents, costume designers. And I think that just provided a really interesting peek inside the whole Twilight machine. It is, however, only available on something called Cast Media for like $5 a month. But if you mm. really want to listen, and I think it is worth a listen, you can get through it all in a month. Like, there's not that many Twilight yeah. movies. There's not that many episodes of this. It's doable. This month in politics, I thought we would talk about Jacinda Arden, who, um, after many years in politics, kind of very suddenly announced this month that she is stepping down from being prime minister. And she, like, announced it earlier, like, this week and is already like, that's it. No longer prime minister of Aotearoa, New Zealand. And... Yeah, we talk, we've talked about her, like, a bit on the podcast, like, in and out. But one thing I like to do every once in a while, if you are a regular listener, is deep dive into a woman in politics. And I think she's been, like, so prominent as, like, the woman in politics for the last few years that um, she seemed like a great person to talk about this month. Um, I learned so many fun facts about her. I love a fun yeah. fact. Yeah. It's really great to whip those out when you've just been on the Wikipedia a little bit. Yeah, I learned this not just on Wikipedia. Crazy. Oh, even better. Yeah. Verified sources, Micah. Who is she? Mm-hmm. Um, she actually grew up in the Mormon church LDS um, and is now agnostic, which kind of fits her brand a little bit. Her dad was also like a very high-ranking cop. Um, and she grew up in like a more like poor region of New Zealand and that had a lot of child poverty. Um, and that's kind of a theme in her political career. She's really been an advocate for children and people in poverty. Um, so you can really see how her roots kind of have affected her politics. Speaking of politics, she was incredibly political, like from a young age. She joined the New Zealand Labour Party at the age of 17. Um, and she did a degree in communications and public relations, um, in New Zealand, but then went and like set off across the world. She went and lived in New York for a while. And then she went to the UK, which is a thing that like a lot of people from New Zealand do. They like go live in the UK for a couple years, but instead of like working at a pub, uh, she like worked in Tony Blair's government, um, that's pretty cool. Yeah, she was a researcher. She never. She says she never met him until she was prime minister. Huh. Yeah. Um, in 2008, that by this point she had returned to New Zealand, um, she was elected as the president of the International Union of Socialist Youth. Um, and then at that same time, she ran for the Labour Party to be a member of parliament. Um, she was first elected in 2008. And we've talked a little about a little bit about like electoral systems on the podcast before, and I'm a little bit of a nerd about them. But mm-hmm. New Zealand has a cool proportional system where like half the people who are elected represent a place, and then the other half ish rep- represent like a proportional amount of the vote. So they like top up if the regional representation doesn't represent like a proportional um, result. And the way they do that is they make a list of members and, like, they top up from the list based on order. And uh, Arden was placed 20th on the labor list, which is really high. Um, And as a, like, never-before-elected candidate, and because she was placed so high, she was elected. 
um, off the list. And then in 2017, she became elected in her um, riding where she was elected ever since. Um, so in 2008, when she ran, that was when the Labor Party lost for the first time in um, nine years. And then we saw a more right-leaning government until 2017, where the Labor Party was really struggling. Um, and Arden kind of, in some ways, it seems like she didn't really want to be the leader of the party. Um, like when the leader of the party came to her and was like, I want to resign. We're not doing well in the polls. The election is in six months. She said, no, like you need to stick it out a little bit longer. Um, but then she, um, the leader decided to step down. She became the leader of the Labor Party and they had the best fundraising um, donations in like their history. At one point they were ra raising 700 New Zealand dollars a minute. Um, wow. Yeah. So she like was instantly very popular. Um, and that resulted in them uh, having a really good showing in the election. They gained 14 more seats, giving them 46 seats out of 120, which isn't a majority, but because New Zealand has um, a proportional system that doesn't happen all the time and they have five parties. So what happened was she made a minority coalition with New Zealand first and it was supported by the Green Party. Um, and yeah, she became prime minister and when she did so she became one of the third prime minister like woman prime minister in New Zealand but also at 37 one of the youngest world leaders yeah for sure um and yeah she faced another election in October 2020 and that one she won in a landslide um gaining a 65 seat majority and in her time she's been generally like incredibly popular um, as they want to do, pundits like named the phenomenon Jacinda Mania. Um, it's not a very creative one. Is it? <laughs> it really isn't. It's uh, no Bieber fever. No. Well, like when Justin Trudeau's father, Pierre Trudeau, was like very popular, they called it Trudeau Mania. So, like, there's only one name, apparently. Just out of mania? Yeah. I'm not loving it. I think there's more creative options. I agree. Um, during Jacinda Mania, a.k.a. her time as prime minister of a, a nation, um, she had, like, faced quite a few challenges in the nation, but also brought in some really wonderful policies. Leading from that, her experience um, growing up, she brought in a lot of policies to help families and children, um, like tax benefits and subsidies for low-income families and school lunches for kids. Um they also decriminalized abortion during her tenure as prime minister. Um, previously, abortion, there were like very strict rules on who could mm -hmm. get an abortion before 20 weeks. And now in New Zealand, you can get an abortion for any reason up to 20 weeks. And then after 20 weeks, there are like certain stipulations, which is kind of bog standard for like progressive abortion policies. Um, she also, New Zealand faced like quite a bit of hardship as her time as prime minister including most famously the Christchurch mosque shooting which was a, like a horrific act of terror um and after that she brought in really strict gun laws to the nation reached a month afterwards um and that time really brought her prominence again on the world stage as she was I don't think she was like putting herself out there to be very publicly in the front of it but she became kind of like an image of mourning for the nation um and it's interesting reading, like, articles from 2017 when she was elected, because a lot of people call her, like, an antidote to Trumpism, um, because she was elected, like, the year after Trump was and, like, participated in the Women's March and in New Zealand and, like, was seen as, like, wow, a progressive lady. Um, there's a really funny photo of the first time she and Trump met where she, like, looks like a normal politician and he's giving, like, a thumbs up. Um, and is, like, deeply orange, as he always is. I'm sure, yeah. Um, very, like, a much a historical artifact. Um, we'll have to post that on our social. <laughs> we will. <laughs> um, 
Also, like, quite famous um, is her COVID policies. Um, New Zealand is generally considered a success story when it comes to COVID. Um, and they did that by implementing incredibly strict laws about who could come and go from New Zealand. Um, only citizens and permanent residents could enter New Zealand for a very long time. And then they opened up very gradually by including like neighboring nations, including Australia. And they had a very strict quarantine policy as well. Um, but when they left that first kind of bout of restrictions in um, 2020, she had like a 60% approval rating, which is pretty wow. good for a um, COVID leader in some ways, um, who like made really strong choices. And then that's obviously in October 2020, after those restrictions, she like won in a landslide. I think probably what is she's most known for and um, why she's really admired is that she's been a huge advocate for women in politics. Mm -hmm. um, famously, she had uh, she gave birth in, when she was prime minister in her first year in office. And when she did that, she became only the second ever elected head of government to give birth while in office. Wow. Yeah. Um, and she took her baby with her to her, like, different political things, including to Parliament. But, like, famously, she took her baby to the UN. Um, yes, these great yes. pictures of her breastfeeding and, like, carrying her baby around in the middle of the UN. Um, she's also been known to be really quick to call it sexism um, from both her colleagues and from the media. Um we talked about the Finnish Prime Minister Sana Marin in a previous episode, but she visited New Zealand in November and a journalist asked them like directly if the only reason why they were meeting was because they were a woman of a similar age. Um, oh, it has nothing to do with our job. We just think <laughs> no. we'd be good like girlfriends. We're just here in a press conference because we wanted to hang out. Um and Arden uh, retorted, I wonder if anyone ever asked Barack Obama and John Key if they met because they were a similar age. John Key being the former prime minister of New Zealand. Um, yeah, she's been known to be like a little fiery and like say what she wants. She has also like had to weather the COVID storm and has moved farther away from the left and more to the center um, in her policies. But she, like, retains that kind of spirit as an example this past December in a debate during question period. MP David Seymour was speaking, and then when Arden sat down, she called him an arrogant prick. Um, <laughs> but her mic was on, and everyone could hear it. Uh, <laughs> later, she texted him to apologize, and then the two of them printed and framed a poster with the phrase on it, and they both signed it. Um, That's funny. And then they donated the proceeds from the auction to the Prostate Cancer Foundation. Gosh, it's so nice when things don't get blown out of proportion and like become a whole issue for years to come when, when two people are just like, that was a weird thing that happened, but let's just get over it and do something nice about it. Mm -hmm. It's really refreshing. Yeah, it seems in general the like political culture in New Zealand is way less antagonistic than it is yes. um, in North America. And Britain, uh, which is nice. Um, so yeah, that kind of bring obviously many, many other things happen, but that brings us to this month where Arden announced that she was going to step down. Um, on the 19th of January, she said, I know what this job takes and I know that I no longer have enough in the tank to do it justice. It's that simple. We need a fresh set of shoulders for that challenge. And this was really surprising because as mm. recently as November, she said she was going to stay on as prime minister for the next election, which is in 2023. Um, uh -huh. And she, yeah, it was like incredibly sudden for everyone. And people have been like quite sad about it in um, parliament. Like when she, on January 27th, she made her last, or 25th, she made her last appearance. And like hit past the torch to Chris Hipkins and there's reports of like members of her cabinet and staff like crying as she leave she left um and of course because she is a woman in politics many people suggested 
that maybe she stepped down because she couldn't handle the misogyny she was facing online because while she's rather popular in New Zealand, there's still a big contingent of, they're not big, there's a vocal contingent of people who are really against her and have been spewing like horrible hate against her. Um, and But pe- journalists asked her about this and she responded, Um, While there has been a bit of commentary in the aftermath of my departure, I would hate for anyone to view my departure as a negative commentary on New Zealand. I've experienced such love, compassion, empathy, and kindness when I've been in this job. That has been my predominant experience. Um, And I think that's really lovely that, like, that's how she gets to leave. Um, Less lovely, but I think interesting. The day that this was announced, the BBC read an article, which was basically just like, Jacinda Ardern is leaving, stepping down. But the title of the article was, Can Women Have It All? Um, Which was not a great move on their part. Like, the timing was bad. It was literally, like, the new how many people found out she was stepping down. And the article wasn't, like, let's discuss, like, women in politics. It was, like, she's stepping down. I guess women can't have it all. It's a very strange initial reaction yes. for what was supposed to be like a fact reporting piece to then put your own little spin yeah. just in the headline with no further discussion. That's odd. Yeah. So I it was an odd choice and they took it down very quickly. Like you okay. like the title is gone. Saw many screenshots of the tweet. Um but what I think is interesting is I think they're like They're not trying to do it, but they have a point, which I think is reflected in why she's stepping down. And I will make this argument to you and you can decide whether, like, that is accurate or has any merit to it. Um, I guess I've been thinking about it because more and more I've been seeing women online who have been kind of throwing their virtual hands in the air and admitting that having it all is not a realistic or even desirable goal to have. Um, Like, it feels impossible to have both a high-powered job where you're, like, progressing in your career and to have children that you actually want to spend time with. Um, Like, get to spend time with. with. Just that the children are kind of annoying. So you're like, eh, I don't want to spend time with you. Yeah, like, if if having it all means, like, having all the joys of, like, a rich family and social life and having a high-powered career, like, maybe that isn't something we should want or even is even attainable. Um, I would argue that, like, the phrase having it all is really comes from, like, the lean-in lean girl boss feminism era. Um What's the, there's the Sarah Jessica Parker movie. Um, oh, what is it? I think it's that? called like the phrase, like women having it. How does she, how can she do it? How does she do how it? Do, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. No, I haven't seen that movie. Have you seen that movie? I haven't seen it. Maybe we should watch it for reasons. Yes. We'll post some, um, post some memes from it. <laughs> but like that movie social. is all about like, from what I understand from the trailers, like this idea that like you can be a really successful woman in your work, but also, like, balance, like, having kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's so interesting that, like, because this is framed as, like, equality for women. Like, they can go out and be in the workforce and be just as successful as men and, like, have exactly what men have. But I think, like, there's only so many hours in the day and only so much capacity we all have. And I think it's really interesting that the way we expect women to achieve equality is to step up to the plate and take on more than they already have taken on. And st- right, like you wouldn't be giving up anything. Like yes. you shouldn't be like giving up any of your responsibilities in your home or like time with your children, but you should also be doing this other thing. That's yeah. a full-time job as well. Um so there, we're asking women to increase their career mm-hmm. while at the same time maintaining childcare yeah. and like domestic labor. But no one has ever asked men to step away from their careers and take on more responsibility in the home. Cause mm. it's ridiculous to think that like we could just all be more productive. Like that isn't possible or I would argue desirable. Yeah. Um, clearly Arden has inspired me in her socialist bent. Um mm. 
it just seems like the burden of equality is really set to women and then they inevitably fail because we only have so many hours in the day. Um, there's obviously like things that society can do to relieve these burdens, which like we saw Arden do in her time as prime minister, like introducing um, more social safety nets. We can introduce free childcare. Um, but at the end of the day, like people have children because hopefully they want to spend time with them and like have like get married because they love their partners and want to spend time with them. And like we live for more than work. And it's weird to say that like the pinnacle of feminism and equality is having it all, which really just means like overworking yourself um, and never getting to enjoy the things you're working for. And I think this like maybe doesn't fully apply to Arden in some ways because there are going to be jobs where you can't step back. And that is including being prime minister. Like that is a job that like we demand and needs like more than your 40 hour work week of dedication and time. Cause you're like, you're in charge of a whole nation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I like, I strongly believe like prime ministers should get access to free childcare and other such benefits. But I do think her reasons for stepping down kind of show the outcomes of trying to have it all. Um, Like it demands more labor than maybe we want to give trying to get it all. And it also asks women to demand to bear the brunt of that demand. And I think this quote from her is really interesting and kind of shows this. She said, the only interesting angle that you will find is that after going on six years of some big challenges, I am human politicians are human we all give we give all that we can for as long as we can and then it's time and for me it's time and I think that really shows that like the attempt to have it all is not sustainable and very admirable that she did it and necessary and some people have to but like life is long and you should live a lovely life and maybe trying to do it all is not possible. So yes, I agree with the BBC, bad timing and context, but maybe the question isn't should, can women have it all, but can we, should we reconceptualize what all means and like work together to like actually have equality for women in the workplace and the home. So for this month's pop culture segment, I thought I would unpack a certain Golden Globes red carpet interview I am sure you're all familiar with that involved one Andrew Garfield and one Amelia de Moldenberg. Micah, are you familiar with what I'm talking about? I saw the title of your section. I was like, Am Amelia and Andrew, who are these people? And then I was like, ah, yes, I'm so excited about this when I figured out who they were. Our good flirty friends. Mm-hmm. So I am going to analyze this interaction that they had a little bit, provide some context that I think will clear up some thoughts and expectations around Amelia and Andrew. And then give a little recommendation at the end that I think is quite fun. So first off, who is Andrew Garfield? He is a 39-year-old. Hard to believe. He's so youthful. I know. He's so youthful. Uh, So youthful. Uh, Yeah. It's – he's very, very youthful in appearance. He is a 39-year-old English-American actor. I know him from the 2007 episodes of Doctor Who called Daleks in Manhattan and Evolution of the Daleks. He plays a guy who lives in Hooverville, which is like a homeless camp in Mm -hmm. Central Park in the 1930s called Frank. And I thought he was so handsome that I started a fan club just based on these episodes of Doctor Who. (laughs) But he is uh, much more well-known for his roles in movies like Never Let Me Go, The Social Network, Hacksaw Ridge, Tick, Tick, Boom, and of course, the amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2, where he played the titular Mm Spider-Man. And yeah, was a very youthful, probably almost 30-year-old at that time. Those movies came out a while ago. I think he's also very well-known for having a relationship with his co-star, Emma Stone, quite Mm -hmm. a long-term relationship that 
still lives on in the hearts and minds of people who are on Tumblr in the 2010s, kind of like Alex Turner and Alexa Chung as just one of these like adorable couple goals yes. couples. Um, they both moved on. She's like married with a kid, but I think their names get brought up a lot together. So just wanted to throw that in. Who is Amelia is another question. She is a 28-year-old journalist, comedian, and YouTuber from the UK. And she is best known for Chicken Shop Date, which is a video interview series that actually began back in 2014 Mm -hmm. when she would interview grime artists, which is, if you don't know, like a type of electronic music that emerged in London in the early 2000s. But she would frame these interviews as dates in a chicken shop. And they were really characterized by a lot of intentional awkwardness. Mm. Rather than doing like all giggles and flattery, Amelia basically does this character, sort of like what Ziwei does, where she'd have like a really deadpan sense of humor, be very sarcastic, and would really lean into awkward silences or scoff at something the other person says. And while she began this in 2014, this really started picking up steam over the past few years when she branched outside of the grime artist. Mm -hmm. She interviewed actor Daniel Kalia back in 2020, rapper Jack Harlow in 2021. And then I think the one that really pivoted yeah. like this onto the world stage is her interview with documentarian Louis Theroux in 2022. Because... That is the one where one of the biggest TikTok sounds of the year came from. Mm-hmm. You know that my money don't jiggle jiggle. It, it folds. folds. Yes. It's stuck in yeah. your head now. I apologize. It really, yeah. I, I wanted to sing it. I didn't want to yeah. sing it on the podcast, but I did want to sing that. That is a rap that he performed in an older documentary, but the sound comes from this interview. She is actually the person at the beginning that's saying, can you remember any of the rap that you did? And then it goes into, <laughs> yes. come on, you don't do wiggle. But she has also started doing red carpet reporting. So last year she was reporting at the Brit Awards and the GQ Men of the Year Awards. And then earlier this month, the Golden Globes. This is the fateful interaction that mm-hmm. has taken over the internet. So on the 10th of January... Andrew Garfield and Emilia de Moldenberg meet on the red carpet of the 80th Golden Globes in Los Angeles. And this is basically what happens. I wish I could just play the video, but I'm going to just describe it to you. Mm -hmm. Andrew approaches Emilia and immediately starts teasing her about the awkward glance she was giving him. They start laughing. And then she says, we must stop meeting like this, which I'll explain that reference in a little bit. Mm -hmm. And he says... I only ever want to see you. And she stops him with this like, what? And they start laughing again. And he moves to grab the microphone, but is like grabbing her hand. So his like hand is like on hers and for quite a while. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, I didn't get to finish. I meant that I only ever wanted to see you on the red carpet. It's like awkward and cute and giggly. And she says that she wants to invite him to her birthday party. And then he starts asking about their star sign. And then he's like, oh, that means we're compatible. But maybe they shouldn't explore it because it would be too much. It would be too serious. Even just talking about it now, I'm like blushing and giggly about it. Like when you're watching it, it's almost hard to watch because it's so flirty. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's the kind of thing that everyone everywhere got immediately obsessed with. You know, we were seeing a lot of tweets. I'm going to read some that were like, it's hard to see someone else living my dream. Rom-com now. The man is so in love. He's devastatingly into you. Get married now. We are in real time watching Andrew Garfield fall in love with Amelia. The Guardian uh, noted commenters who said the interaction encompassed English flirting due to the moments of exquisite charm punctuated by the cringiest shit you've ever <laughs> And they also mentioned that there's been comparisons to Austin novels and the golden age of Hollywood. Like mm. people are getting really lofty about this. And people got really excited when they found out that Amelia has also maybe dated someone she's interviewed before, uh, English rapper H. 
The pair posted some very like loved up pics earlier in 2022 before sharing like a joke video in April where they agreed to just be friends. So it's a little unclear what was going on there. I mean, even if they weren't together in a romantic sense, it's clear that they had like an ongoing relationship after the chicken shop date, even just as friends. It it went on beyond the professional interview Mm -hmm. setting. I loved this interview. I thought it was so adorable. But I do need to temper the conversation a little bit. I, I feel the need. Yeah. Firstly, this is literally the premise of Amelia's show. Like, I've seen articles with headlines like, these are real headlines, watch Andrew Garfield flirt with an interviewer on the Golden Globes red carpet. And interviewer and Andrew Garfield have sizzling red carpet flirtation. And I've also like heard, you know, people in my own life or on other podcasts sort of talk about this interaction as if it's not the premise of her show mm-hmm. and like literally what she set out to do. They're making it seem like it's just a regular, regular reporter out to do, you know, their job as if she was just going to ask Andrew Garfield a question about his movie and he was supposed to answer regularly, but like started flirting with her that's not it like this was always set up to be a flirty encounter and I think people who are either don't have that context or like willfully ignoring it should be a little more aware of that like imagine if you like you went up to Z-Way on the red carpet and were like okay I will tell you about my movie no she's you're, you're gonna go in like guarded ready for like a very specific type of interaction and like exactly he went in he like knew yeah and i think because amelia's you know her star is definitely on the rise but it's maybe not the most well-known show mm-hmm. um as of yet I, it's always always growing but i think it's been funny seeing quite a lot of people who are not familiar with that shtick thinking that this was just a randomly very flirty interview also like as you mentioned if you were to see z-way you would know what's going on Andrew specifically knows what's going on with Amelia because, as I sort of alluded to before, the pair actually met at the GQ Men of the Year Awards that Amelia was doing reporting at. And he came up to her and started the conversation by telling her he'd seen all her chicken shop things. (laughs) So he knows what it is. He's seen the videos. He knows what's going on. And they had kind of like a flirty encounter there. And then we're sort of taking that to another level at the Golden Globes. Also, and I'm sorry to say this, but there were rumors just a month ago in December 2022, which feels like a lifetime ago because it was like last calendar year, Mm -hmm. but it's not, that Andrew was maybe dating uh, Bridgerton actress Phoebe Denever. I'm actually like not sure what the status of that is. There was, you know, talk that they hit it off at those GQ awards, uh, we don't actually know what's going on there, but there is like a little chance maybe that he is already mm-hmm. spoken for. So we'll see. My verdict anyway is that this was very, very cute. And I do think there's some real chemistry there. You know, she does these interviews with all sorts of people and they don't have that same spark. He yeah. was really leaning into it. Um, and they clearly play off each other really well. But I don't think we should make this into a huge thing. Because at the end of the day, her job is to flirt with people like this. And he is literally an award-winning actor. Mm-hmm. Like, this is both of their jobs. But I do want to tell anyone who got like really excited by this vibe. Because it is, it's so thrilling to watch this kind of energy. Is that we can challenge or channel this feeling into art right? Mm -hmm. The the famous non-famous person relationship trope is one you will find everywhere. So in countless movies, you know, there's Notting Hill, The Bodyguard, ones like Camp Rock or Hairspray or the Lizzie McGuire movie. All of them have that same dynamic that's really exciting to people. And it's also something that is a big deal in fan fiction. So like a huge portion of fan fictions are ones where you're okay to use an example like if you're really into Buffy the Vampire Slayer you would write about Buffy and Spike going on a little date right you're using the characters that are already established there Mm -hmm. but there is also ones where it's more of like a your name or an insert one so maybe 
you write a character who ends up becoming Buffy's new best friend. And this person is almost like a stand in for the reader or the writer. It's this creation of like the ultimate wish fulfillment for people who want to be in that world and interact with those characters and people. And I think in a sense, Amelia is kind of doing that for us here. She is being the regular girl, just like us, Mm -hmm. who's, got this opportunity to interview Andrew Garfield and they've really hit it off. So it's one we see in fan fiction a lot. And I think just this established dynamic featuring people or characters that we already know is so exciting. Um, Like we know Andrew Garfield as a figure in popular culture, which I think makes this a little more interesting than if we were just to see two random people flirt we're already invested in that way Mm -hmm. and a 2021 piece for teen vogue's fan service column really highlighted how this idea how this you know working with these established dynamics and this wish fulfillment really plays a huge part in fan fiction they wrote Reader inserts can be a way for fans to see themselves and their experiences in scenarios that they don't have access to in their offline lives. They serve as sites of escapism for author and reader alike, a way for them to flex their creative muscles while diving into a new world with characters they already like. There was a BTS fan fiction writer who was interviewed with it for this who said, Honestly, when I first wrote a reader insert story, I wasn't very familiar with fanfic and had never written it before. At the time, I was going through a rough period professionally and found myself escaping into little daydreams more often, I think as a form of mental self-preservation. It was usually quick thought experiments, like what might happen if I met BTS? What if I randomly ran into them in real life? What if I had the opportunity to interview them? Mm. You see the similarities? Mm -hmm. And this fuel that Andrew and Amelia have provided is, you know, what really pushes a lot of fan fictions forward, but a lot of the fan fictions have then gone on to become successful books and movies. Mm -hmm. So if that's something you want to get more of in your life and maybe don't want to dive into the Wattpad world, there are some more accessible options for you. If you like Harry Styles, there are a lot of options for you. He seems to be the ultimate uh, figure for fan fictions at the moment. There is the After Book series by Anna Todd, uh, which has been made into a bunch of movies. I think we're up to like four or five now. Uh, that one features a teenager named Tessa, who could be like a stand-in for you, who meets her very own Harry Styles, whose name is Hardin Scott at college. There's also The Idea of You by Robin Lee, originally a fanfic, then a book, now getting made into a movie starring Anne Hathaway about a single mom who meets and falls in love and falls in love with boy band member Hayes Campbell. And then for fans of Chris Evans, we actually have a real life story that honestly Mm -hmm. reads like fan fiction, which is Edith Zimmerman's 2011 profile of Chris Evans for GQ, where she parties with him, sleeps off her wild night in his guest room, goes to a red carpet with him, And if you're thinking that sounds familiar, it may be because you've read the 2022 book talk hit Funny You Should Ask, which is very much inspired by that interview. I will say, I have read all of these books and none of them really did it for me. Mm -hmm. So I'm ultimately asking, and maybe the whole point of this segment was, if you were like just invigorated by Andrew and Amelia's red carpet interaction, please write a fan fiction about it and then send it to me, you know? Or if you don't, not that one, you can write about something else that inspires you. I just think a healthy way for us to channel this, this like energy is like not to force these two people to be together, but to use like the feelings that that interaction conjures up in us as inspiration for creating something mm-hmm. really exciting or if it's not this moment it's another one all i'm saying is i think everyone should be writing fan fiction i'm kidding not necessarily fan fiction maybe it's just like you want to do a painting that's like completely abstract but if you're feeling these big emotions because of things like this turn it into something like embroidery crochet whatever it is i want to see it all 
righty. That brings us to the end of another episode of Different Things Can Be Sad. Micah, what will you be up to before we catch up again at the end of February? What will I be up to? Um, I am really trying to like make the most out of my weekends. And um, I will hopefully have been to like brunch a couple times um Love a brunch. read many a book watched many a movie um and just kind of gone to a birthday party or two it will be great that sounds lovely i feel like i have nothing planned for february the start of the year has been quite slow for me to just mm-hmm. get the calendar in order so it really is an open book at the moment but i'm going to continue working on my crochet temperature blanket which i mentioned last episode as one of my big projects for the year uh january is just about done and it is quite big so i'm a little concerned how big this blanket is going to (laughs) be but i'm excited to watch it grow in february that's going to be my big achievement if you would like to catch up with us you can find me on instagram as at yasmin lomax and i'm at micah Hahn. and then our podcast is at dtcbs podcast where we'll be posting some of those fun little bits we've already mentioned throughout this episode and maybe just some some other fun little bits of things that crop up between Mm -hmm. now and the next episode so we'll leave you there catch us online and we'll catch you next month in your ears that was strange (laughs) bye Bye.